When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. What's up, Joshua? Ah, uh, doing so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah. It's. I mean, the day is going well. You know, we're just we're living. We're alive. We're here. We're we're living. Uh, we're laughing. We're loving. Yeah, exactly. Eating and praying. All of those things. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's been. Uh, yeah, I went. I saw Fortune Feimster last night, the comedian. It was delightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's really funny, and her opening act—I can't remember her name. I'm gonna have to look it up, but she was really funny too. You actually might recognize her, um, but it was uh, it was it was it was a joyful evening of laughter for the most part. Wonderful, all the particulates swirling about you. Right, exactly. No, we ha- all had. Well, I mean, the particulates are there totally, but we all had, everybody had to wear masks the whole time indoors because we're California, uh, so we know that. Um, I, I, just, I like. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I just need to know who uh, who the opener was because I might actually know. Oh, see, I'm on the fortune. I'm on Fortune's website. That's what. That's what the sound was. So professional. Yeah, I don't know. You had good seats too. I, I had a, I had great seats uh, or a seat. I had one great seat. Although then it turned into I had lots of seats because the four people that had tickets next to me never showed up. So I had a lot of space to myself, and it was at the Balboa where there's this sort of weird. Um, so they have like row one, two, three, whatever, but it starts with like AA and BB. So mm-hmm. I was in BB, which is basically the second row from mm. the stage. I didn't know you were a BB girl. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> and Maybe an AA girl, but oh, maybe some BB. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are we talking about? I don't know. Um, but anyway, so my chair kind of jutted out just a little bit and then it, there's like a wall that separates that section like the pit from the rest of the seating so i kind of had like this little bubble all of myself that was really great <laughs> so although we were indoors and all of that um it was uh i kind of had like plenty of space to just be in my own bubble because like nobody was next to me and you know you must have looked extra like a rock star like all these seats you just yeah, purchased for yourself it definitely felt like that. Um, and I dressed up, you know, I was looking good. Some girl ran over to me and uh, was like, I love your aesthetic. I was like, thank you. <laughs> Have a good night. 
was it was it pretty sold or uh well i saw that so there were two showings uh there was like a seven o'clock and a nine o'clock or whatever nine thirty seven thirty and uh the seven thirty was like real it was packed like that was all sold out from the from what i saw on like Ticketmaster. but the the showing i went to i mean it was full like it was definitely full and the audience had had some drinks and they were like off the chain fortune even came out i mean who knows maybe she does this at every show but she came out with her cell phone she's like okay i'm recording tonight because you all sound really fun (laughs) from like backstage you know so Mm -hmm. she like and the opener said the same thing she was like you all are wild like you are on and it was it was definitely true like and there were two guys sitting behind me that clearly thought they were just at home watching netflix so they were like yelling and talking through the whole thing and i also think that they had seen the show already so they knew there were jokes coming up so they kind of kept spoiling the show a little bit you know which was annoying yelling out like the punchlines before like fortune got to them that was super annoying but i just kind of blocked them out i was like you know what i'm not gonna start a fight with these assholes behind me i'm just gonna focus on the show get we're gonna we're all gonna get through this together uh and then like towards the end of the show they just vanished so i don't know what happened to them maybe somebody came up to them and was like y'all gotta go (laughs) maybe somebody complained but for the most part it was it was really really fun really funny I laughed a lot. I hope she films it and puts it out soon because it was it was enjoyable. Awesome. <laughs> Good to hear. Did you do anything fun this weekend, this past weekend? Um no. Uh, <laughs> um I mean, what, last weekend I finished Cobra Kai. <laughs> we ah, there we go. We didn't we didn't really get to talk about uh, I was like, I really want to talk about that now. I finished Cobra Kai. I finished you. Um, I'm caught up on um Netflix's you. Yeah, Dexter Light. I don't know if it's Dexter Light. I'm um, kidding. I, I have never watched it. But it's that's it's, what people compare it to is Dexter. No, it's very Dexter. I think it's Dexter for this for the, it's this generation's Dexter. You know, ah. once in an age, there wow, is a man. There we go. Once in an age, <laughs> um, a man reveals himself uh, to be. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that this is. I, I, it's such a fascinating show because it's also like a study of people. And this in this season, um, the third season, they are in like San Francisco, like in the Bay Area. So it's a lot of talking about like the weird, crunchy granola techie people that live up there. Ah, okay. which I which I was like, oh, th- I kind of enjoy this. Um. I don't know. I again, I this is not a show that I recommend unless you've already started seeing it, but I if you do ever watch a Joshua, please let me know because I would love to talk to somebody about it. Well, there we go. Um I can't remember did we talk about um the tragedy of Macbeth? Um no. no. <laughs> okay. Um sorry, you know, again, what did, what do we say inside the insider what do you always say? This might be a little too inside baseball, insidery. Ah, uh, that's what I think. Inside baseball. That's why I didn't come immediately to mind. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what that means in the literal context. I know what it means in the metaphorical context, right? But um, still, regardless, either. Um, but like, we'll yeah, talk about it, Joshua. Talk how much you want to play, Lady too, M. Um, <laughs> oh, no, well, that's not where I was going to go. What I was going to say is that because our recordings over the last couple of weeks have been a little. 
Um, we're playing with time a lot more than we have, I think, in the past. So I'm like trying to remember what we talked about that's for an episode coming out later that we already recorded. <laughs> yes. We, but anyways, the point is, is uh-huh. that um, no, because we recorded that episode before I watched the film. I do remember that. So we watched the tragedy of Macbeth. That's the short story uh-huh. uh, in this already jumbled mess. Um with Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, uh, mm-hmm. directed by Joel Cohen. Uh, although, actually, we should also say starring Catherine Hunter. She's like top billing, I think. No, but kind of. She was amazing. She's the woman who plays like the witches. I actually uh, watched it too. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yay. Look at that. We're like on the same page. I, I was like, I think I should watch. I think I owe it to like my, you know, pretentious high school, early college self to watch something Shakespearean. So <sighs> now, see, that's so funny that you bring up the pretentious thing because I, I sent a message to like my little friend group um, chat um, that you're. I was going to say to your pretentious friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I, I sent a message saying this might, I mean, I don't know. This might be an interesting conversation to have with you uh, maybe quickly here. Um, especially because we, you know, obviously I, I shouldn't say we, I uh, read you for not reading. And like, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I like, I, I think maybe I insult you sometimes and I, you know, out of love, but <laughs> <laughs> you read me for not reading. I read you for not reading, but I had sent uh, a message to our friend group because I was like uh, the you know Sam Scrunch and I just finished the tragedy of Macbeth. I thought it was really great. I thought that Catherine Hunter was amazing. Uh, you know Denzel's like portrayal of Macbeth really restrained and um, you know really built through the film rather than kind of you know Macbeth is a weird character that people. Some guys like play him, or some people, I should say. Uh, some people play him like really intense, like from the get go, and he just kind of stays one note. Some people, you know, keep him really. Lo- I just think Denzel did a good balancing of that. Uh, Francis, of course, was amazing as Lady Macbeth. Um, she, it really felt like. Uh, I know that they're both classically trained, uh, so of course, like she, when she was speaking, it felt like she understood what she was saying, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is really. Uh, paramount to like really good Shakespearean actors is that it's like they're using the language as if it is a language. They're not just saying words, you know, they, they get the meaning of what they're saying. So I just thought it was really great. Send it to the group. Like, Hey, you know, check this out. If I I put the caveat, I was like, if you like Shakespearean language and like plays, I think you might enjoy this. So it kind of started this conversation with the group about, that kind of concept, like, you know, what does it mean to like understand Shakespeare? Like, mm-hmm. is this something that we should like value as like a signifier of like, well, you said like pretentious, you know, which it it can be very pretentious. Like, Oh, you don't understand Shakespeare. You know, it's just, it's like one of those things. And so I, I, one of my friends was asking if this was, would be a good thing for like a noob to Shakespeare. And I really didn't know how to answer exactly because I'm like, I, I consider Shakespeare. This is kind of how I put it. Um, like a, uh, a genre of music. Like you either mm. like it or you don't, you know, like you either are like, Oh, this beautiful classical aria or symphonic piece. I love it. It moves me. I kind of think Shakespeare is in that same sort of category. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's a poetry, it's a, it's a certain way of speaking, it's a certain structure, but I don't put any value on, like, knowing it as if, like, you're smart, <laughs> to some extent. Like, I don't think people are, like, you know, should be, like, shamed if they don't like Shakespeare. I, I, I feel like it's a kind of music. Yeah, I... I- 
uh, my experience with some people that we know is that there's a fetishizing of Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, that to me really rubs me the wrong way because it's like, you know, it wasn't great back then, right? <laughs> I was like, you know, it wasn't like great back then. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, because you, you, we, to put things, I mean, one thing that modern theater has going for it is that there are more people who are included in terms of, in terms of, um, their perspective and life story and all that stuff. And I mean, again, Shakespeare wrote also for, I, I believe my, my understanding is that Shakespeare wrote for like the common person. He spoke the part, he spoke in the vernacular. He spoke, he invented his own words. He, he was kind of, you know, if, if I was like a cool English teacher in the inner city, quote unquote, teaching Shakespeare, that's how I would teach it. Right. Mm. But I feel like they're, uh, I don't, I don't get people who are just like, oh, Shakespeare. And I'm like, mm, no, it's like you said, it's a genre of music. Sometimes it's really good and it really hits. And I do appreciate, I appreciate the varying interpretations of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think like for beginners, I mean, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of spoiled because like my introduction to Shakespeare was King Lear in, in ninth grade, my um, English teacher she was like, I'm supposed to teach you all Romeo and Juliet, but I fucking hate Romeo and Juliet, so I'm going to teach you King Lear. <laughs> um, and I was like, uh, yes, badass. And so that was what kind of got me interested in it, because I do love the idea of... I love the idea of deciphering meaning and the wordplay and all that stuff. And I think that's one thing that that's one thing when like watching Shakespeare is difficult because I do like to know the backstory of certain things like um, what is it? I think it's uh, in much ado about nothing. They, there's a line that hero has hero or um, one of the, one of the women has about like, you know, something being a Jade's trick. And then like a Jade is also a type of horse, but it's like a commentary on a woman and like, you know, all that stuff. Those are the things that I like. And one of the reasons why I like reading Shakespeare, but again, reading Shakespeare is different from seeing Shakespeare played out. And I think, people understand it better when if they haven't read it if it's just like a show yeah um maybe i kind of feel but like the one of the things that i liked is with the apple tv like because that's where you know you can watch tragedy of Macbeth. one of the captions kind of put the dialogue in like iambic pentameter mm, nice um which i watch everything with um captions anyways you know i've said that before uh but especially like a shakespeare a Shakespearean piece. I, I like to be able to read it as it goes. Uh, so I, I do find that very helpful. And I love that they kind of structured it, you know, like the verse in, in a way. I mean, yeah. it was also interrupted with like musical cues and, you know, um, sound cues and such, but I definitely had to watch it with the, with the subtitles as well. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked how they did it where it looked like the, you know, the way it's written, uh, I thought was really cool. Uh, but yeah. So what did you think of the film then overall? Like after seeing it? No, you're, you're correct. I, I, uh, you're correct in what you said about Denzel. Like he, um, he, I, I forget that he can play these really intense characters. I think like, I think that we're starting to lump Denzel in the like vein of a, of a Sidney Poitier. 
and yeah. like in thinking of like he's our like now our elder statesman black actor and I forget that like you know this was also the guy who was in um who was in training day and played like this really really cool villain yeah. <laughs> you know I think he got an Oscar I think he got an Oscar for training day I'm not I I forget if that's his Oscar I'm not but, sure you're our resident academy awards uh I know, and I and I fucking hate that because like the Golden Globes were, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I could care less. <laughs> um, I know. It's definitely changed. Is it, it, yeah, it's like who cares? I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't care as much because the thing is though is that like the Golden Globes are like completely rigged, so it's like who cares mm-hmm. about the Golden Globes? I mean, all all manner of like that. I think award shows give off the artifice that there's an object that this, that this piece of art is objectively the best when there's no such thing as objectivity. Right. So if like, if we're, if we are starting to believe that like, there's no such thing as objectivity bias pervades everything, then, then there's no wonder that like hashtag Oscar. So white, you know, but again, not all of that to say is that I enjoyed, I, I completely picked up on what you said about Frances McDormand, like, and her and Denzel, like they could, they believed what they were saying. Right. Um, you could, you could really feel it. I just can't help, but also think like, what if we got an Angela Bassett, you know, reprising her role as Lady Macbeth? Mm. I think that would have been something really, cause she's also just really good at being like, she's good at re- being the histrionic sinister aspect of it. Yeah. Whereas like Francis McDormand and Denzel, there was, it was a very, it was restrained, but like it was meant to be, they knew that they were going to show this on a smaller screen. And so, and that's what it felt like. There was an intimacy about the entire production. Mm-hmm. It was, it gave very much, um, cabinet of dr caligari yeah german expressionism i think it was a major major influence yeah Yeah. and and some points it was like (laughs) at some points it was like the seven wonders uh like uh reenactments in um in american horror story Uh, yeah (laughs) which i think are also meant to kind of look like those old 20s films yeah exactly because it felt very much like that it's like if you gave someone with all of that production and um, but other than that, it was like, it was beautiful. I hope that it, I hope it gets nominated for stuff because I think, um, or at the very least adaptation. Yeah, I really, yeah, I really, really liked it. I wish we had gone to see it in the theater cause it did have a limited theatrical release, but it was like over the holidays, it was like just kind of a mess and you know, with everything going on, it was just, there was no way to like go see it. So I'm hoping if it gets nominated maybe it'll get another chance to in the theaters for like a couple weeks or something because i would really like to see it again on the big screen but but did you notice that it had like it wasn't letterboxed in widescreen like it was no and that was a choice i watched uh, the apple tv had a like a 14 minute documentary or behind the Mm -hmm. scenes of the making of it and yeah they made a lot of choices with that uh, and I think you're right. I think part of it is that, you know, they knew it would be on like Apple TV. Uh, but uh, I also think there were like just things they were trying to do stylistically. Uh, I don't want to say too much. I think people should watch it and then watch that themselves. Uh, but I, yeah, overall, I just thought it was very, very, I just, I couldn't look away from it. It was just well composed, strange, uh, you know, um, uh, also, I like that the, one of the things that they did talk about is I think that Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are usually portrayed like younger or like they, in the play they're younger. But this was sort of like, I think that's why they're not as like, 
you know, like she's not like maniacal, you know, she's, it's desperation, you know, they're older, they're, they're played older. And as people who are like desperate to keep relevancy and keep, you know, it's like the last ditch effort to be King, you know, kind of thing. So it just gives it, I don't know, the whole, the whole production just has a different vibe than I've seen in Macbeth uh, in the past. Not that I've watched, you know, the million productions of Macbeth that there are, but yeah. Uh, what would you say, like, what would you say, or uh, since you've maybe have thought about it a little bit, are your like top two picks for like intro to Shakespeare adaptation film? Oh, man, I don't even know because like, oh, well, that was what I was going to go back and say is like with my friends. Cause you know, another friend commented about like, they enjoy Shakespeare. It's fun. Um, sometimes people can make it really joyless. And I was like, well, Macbeth is a joyless show. Like it's not. So maybe this isn't a good, like I wouldn't say this is like the best thing to start with. If you're, you know, wanting to get into Shakespeare, unless you like horror movies or thrillers, mm-hmm. you know, or, or like just kind of it's depressing. I mean, there's no way around it. It's a very depressing show. Lots of death and lots of uh, unjustified, you know, murder and, you know, so I was like, it's pretty joyless. So I don't know. I mean, I guess if somebody was going to be like, what would be the first thing? I, there's like a, a film of Midsummer Night's Dream with uh, is Michelle Pfeiffer, I think, is in it. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kevin oh. Klein and Rupert Everett. Like, yeah. like it's a I who's think who be- of the 90s. Yeah, I think that'd be a fun uh, one to do and that's in the language right I can't remember mm-hmm. it's been so long since I, I watched that I think when I was in high school maybe <laughs> or maybe in college my first go around uh, so probably something like that um, uh, I I also agree that I'm not a big fan of Romeo and Juliet uh, just as a play I love that meme that goes around that it's like it's a three day love story between some teenagers where like everybody dies it's when you put down like what the actual plot of Roman Juliet is, I hate it, but I do really, I like the Baz Luhrmann film. Uh, I, I think I if you're going to get into it, like it does a good, because it's also like, I mean, just like those teenagers, like, you know, hormones are so heightened at the time. I feel like yeah. that really translates to Baz Luhrmann style. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I was going to mention that one, uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. And then yeah. my, it just seems wanna, so cliche to say that. Yeah. <laughs> if I, you want to like turn it up a little bit, um, or at least my, my favorite, uh, my favorite Shakespearean adaptation on film right now is Much Ado About Nothing with, uh, by Joss Whedon, um, that they filmed like at his home, when he was in between oh, Avengers movies. Yeah. I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I did not see that one. Um, but I also black and about. white, <laughs> um, and updated too. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Cause it's like, um, he's like this scroll and he's holding his Blackberry, like, <laughs> which is my favorite thing in any like Shakespearean adaptation. Um, it's like when, Leonardo DiCaprio buys the uh, goes to the apothecary and gets the poison, and he's like, "Here's my gold," and holds up like a wad of cash. I'm like, yes, yeah, I think it does a good job translating that. Like, if if I had like a, you know, a high school English class, and you're gonna have to do Romeo and Juliet, I think that'd be a good way to like show it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I also really like uh, Titus 
with Anthony Hopkins, the mm-hmm. Julie Taymor and Jessica Lange. Uh, I just love the style of that. I love the c- costuming of it. I don't know if it does anything to like help you understand Shakespeare any better, uh, but it's fun to watch. It's bonkers. You know, it's just really, really bonkers. Is Alan coming in that? Yeah. He's one of the sons, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's... Um, Oh shit! Who does he play? What's the name? I can't. You know what's sad is I was actually just watching it. Uh, my brain is. You were just watching Titus. Yeah, because I realized I wanted to like just see Jessica Lange in like some of the costumes again. Because uh, she just she's so beautiful. I mean, she's just uh, she's such a beautiful woman, and she's so the way they do her, it, it's just really really incredible. Um, yeah, uh, you know, as the queen of the goths. <laughs> um, I while you look while you look up who he is, um, I recently also watched um this documentary on HBO Max called uh, "Reopening Night," and it's about um the public theaters uh reopening of Shakespeare in the Park in 2021. Um, for the like opening audience opening to audiences for the first time since COVID. Um, and given everything that happened in with uh, June justice in 2020, they decided to pivot from what they originally planned to do to a completely different show. So they had um, a playwright come in and adapt uh, Shakespeare's Merry Wives of Windsor, but it is um, adapted uh, into the vernacular of the like African diaspora communities of Harlem. (laughs) So it's like two wives and they're like, you know, African, like Nigerian, like talking to each other. And it's the whole, because it's a comedy. So it's fun, but it was also super celebratory. Um, I really hope that, they somewhere because they showed, they showed a lot of the production and all the challenges that they had um, with it. But like, I really want to see that show somewhere because it just looked like uh, it just looked amazing the way that they were able to adapt it and um, play that off for people. So, you know, they used, they, they used the Shakespearean text, but they also incorporated like, um, incorporated aspects of every and every character represented a different African country, a different African culture. And the styles were, it was just so beautiful to look at. Um, I really hope that they have that pr- uh, production up somewhere soon. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd like to see that. Um, yeah. Alan Cumming plays Saturninus, the, um, mm. the crowned emperor of Rome. So not his son, but they, he takes Tamora. That's Jessica Lange's character as a wife. And then she's queen of Rome. And then uh, she can take her revenge on Titus for his uh, war crimes and other terrible things. Um, anyways, point is, yeah, there's lots of great Shakespeare. I think again, it's another one of those things where it just depends on your, um, taste you know like there's probably a version of a shakespeare play out there that you know appeals to everybody you just you know gotta find it um but even if not that's okay too if you're like no fuck that guy fuck shakespeare i don't want to listen to poetry when people are talking that's fine too (laughs) i mean (laughs) whatever we want to call that you don't you don't know this about me but somewhere in this room i have a um i i took a uh, screen capture from the internet of um, 
a, one of the production photos from a Shakespeare in the Park of um, Twelfth Night that stars uh, Audra McDonald, Raul Esparza, and Anne Hathaway. Oh, fine. and I took that because the photo itself is really beautiful and kind of captures what the f- the whole play is about in one image. And I took it and I like I put it like I had it framed and I have it like as a little art piece because I'm just like this is just so brilliant. I, I remember being really really uh, taken with that. So we'll we'll link it in the show notes. I'll find it. <laughs> That's another fun uh, gender play. You know? Yes, play gender play play. <laughs> yes, we're all about playing with gender. I know. I tell you, I'm going to make my realization happen. I put it out into the world and. You know, um, I get what you were saying with me, like that I had posted about um, wanting to play Lady Macbeth. <laughs> I was like, somebody's got to do a gender swapped Macbeth so I can do it. Let's make it happen, Joe. Yes. Fright School presents. Fright School presents. <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, alrighty. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up uh, this portion of the show. And uh, then we will uh, be right back to <sighs> talk, I guess, about the <laughs> <laughs> Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris to Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. All right. Welcome back, Joe. This week, we are wrapping up the original Scream trilogy in our uh, January 2022 franchise deep dive. We're starting a new um, tradition <laughs> by dedicating January to uh, to one franchise. This time it is 2000, 2000. Oh my gosh, let's go let's go back to that, uh, which was twenty two years ago. Oh my gosh, my holy heart. moly! <laughs> uh, Scream three, directed by Wes Craven, written this time by Aaron Kruger. Uh, Kevin Williamson was just having so much successes. You know, doing all kinds of things, doing the Dawson's Creek, doing the faculty, doing whatever other everything he was writing. He was in demand and he was not available. Uh, but he had written, I think when the, when he first sold Scream, he wrote treatments for two and three, which two was largely that story. Um, minus some changes, they had to like change the the uh, the killers uh, because of like script leaks and stuff. But that has nothing on the production of this film <laughs> and uh, the the rather um, miserable, I think, time for everybody involved in some ways uh, reflected really well in the making of the film within the film where they're changing the script and everybody's kind of I know that's supposed to be a comment on like Scream 2, but I think it's more of a comment on like Scream 3 there. They were meta their met the time right there. 
you know? <laughs> they were meta-ing in real time. Yeah. Uh, anyways, we got our we got our three back, you know, David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox. We got them. And then uh, joining the cast, legendary Lance Henriksen, uh, even more legendary Parker Posey. <laughs> Just... I really think she's my favorite thing about this film. I don't know what movie she's in, but I wish that Scream 3 was that movie. Because <laughs> she's just on a whole other level throughout the film. Uh, we also got Patrick Dempsey, uh, Jenny McCarthy, you know, Dion Richmond. Fun. Uh, yeah. So, You're like not mentioning Emily Mortimer or Emily Matt Mortimer, Kiesler. There she is, Matt <laughs> Kiesler. Yes, Scott Foley. Oh my gosh! Every I'm just gonna run down the whole cast. Let me see what who the stunt people were. <laughs> I mean, like you named. It was like, and you know, Lance Henriksen. I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess because we're a horror podcast, we got to name Lance Henriksen. But like Emily I'm just Mortimer, happy to see him pop up. He's he's another person that I feel will never die. So whenever he does die. Because he's looked the same since the '80s, since he did Pumpkinhead, I feel like he just he just stays. He's a classic. I don't know what yeah. to say. And they uh, and he he played a great character too. Like you know, the having- problem is, I'm sorry, real quick, is that like all these people that you're talking about, I only know from this film. So like. Whereas, like, Parker Posey, I've seen in a million other things. Lance Henriksen, I've obviously seen in a million other things. Uh, But I never watched Scrubs or Felicity or Scandal, so I don't know who Scott Foley is. I didn't know he had a career. I I thought all all these people's careers, outside of the already famous people's, ended with this movie. Are you kidding me? Who's Emily Mortimer? Emily Mortimer. Oh, I do recognize her now. Yeah, she was in the newsroom. She was in some other HBO show. She's been in things. Yeah, she has um, been in things. I was like, I, I was completely gagged. I think I texted you. I was like, Emily Mortimer, Matt Kiesler. I know, yeah. Well, that's one of those things, though, because you do that a lot where you say, again, I mean, you know, hey, like, newsflash, my pop culture really is limited to, like, horror shit. Like, you know, I don't watch a lot. I'm not like Matt Kelly. Like, I don't know how that guy, he knows everything. You know, he watches everything. I'm not like him. I'm, I'm like, horror it is all the time 24 7 so like i just didn't yeah you're sending me names i'm like i knew you'd be excited about these that's why i compared you to alanda the youtuber i'm now in love with mm-hmm. and want to have over here and be my friend uh i know she's done other things but that's you know right i'm i'm getting to know her through her youtube uh responses and reactions because she does the same thing oh i didn't know gossip girl was in this <laughs> i didn't know you know gray's anatomy doctor was in this and i'm like i don't know who these people are I didn't watch this. I, I'm telling you, Matt Matt Kiesler was like young Joe. Uh, loved him some like you know Matt Kiesler bit part role. Um, he's in Sour Grapes with uh, Steven Weber, which is like the most asinine comedy of the late '90s, early 2000s. Matt Kiesler was also in The Middleman. Um, if Matt, if Matt Kelly is listening to this and he remembers anything I've just said, I need a text right away. (laughs) Um, I, uh, I did recognize him from waiting for Guffman, which I do wonder if he and Parker Posey shared any like, you know, moment on state on the set, like (laughs) crazy movie. Um, but yeah, other than that, like I'm looking through his like list of films, scream three. Yep. I know that. Um, Oh, he wasn't an episode of Masters of Horror. So, I mean, he's done some things that I've seen, I guess, but I don't remember. <laughs> no, not not much, though. 
Numbers. Oh no, that's the wrong thing. That's a show, not a movie. Uh, yeah, and that was back in 2006. So yeah, sorry. I'm. I'm really. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't get like. He's one of those like. He's one of those like guy, leading guys of the like the late 90s who kind of melt. Who kind of look the same. You know, yeah. it's like Matt Kiesler and Matthew Modine, and uh, one of the like. Um, uh, there, there's like twins from the Seven Seven Brothers. Yeah, like they're all. <laughs> you know, like if 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 Ryan That's Murphy like was making Pine shit and Chris Pratt and Chris whatever there well, no it's are. like matt bomer kind of looks like finn whitrock oh, they all right. kind of look the same like that's kind of what yeah, cheyenne jackson yeah. yeah that's true you're seeing that meme of all the faces looking at you i like am that. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah or the one somebody shared it where it's like um margot robbie um jamie presley <laughs> it's oh no i'm convinced they're all the same yeah there's like 10 women it's like none of these are the same person i'm like yeah i know but then <laughs> that girl from the babysitter right she yeah. also looks like margot robbie jamie presley yeah yeah anyways this is not the point of the show to talk about how all white people look the same um yeah <laughs> <laughs> The point, uh, well, white famous people all look the same. Surprise, surprise. Uh, the point is, is to discuss Scream Three, and uh, but that's the thing is, I, you know, I mean, we're, we kind of did this deep dive, and then I'm like, man, what are we really going to talk about with Scream Three? So, Joe, let's start with uh, your thoughts on, uh, on on how you felt about the the trilogy coming to a conclusion with this film back in 2000. Um, it was wild. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. It, it was like uh, knowing that it went through so many rewrites, and there wasn't like a cohesive. You know, things were happening so much behind the scenes. It makes me um, a little more forgiving of yeah, the film. I agree. I think I think three is like my least favorite right now. Um. I did love everything with Cotton, though, in the beginning. I was like, oh, my God. He, like, hosts some sort of Jerry Springer program, and and he died. Right, 100% Cotton. LOL. Hashtag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, everything with Cotton was great. I was like, oh, my God. Like, so this, you know, also at the same time, he's like, you know, hey, what are you wearing? But don't touch my girlfriend. <laughs> I'm like, wow, what a dirtbag. Man, I, right. You know, so many things, you know, like just compartmentalizing there really well. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that, you know, we know it's a horror film because like Creed starts playing right away, right at the beginning. <laughs> horror film of the 90s. <laughs> right, yes. They were making that then. I Creed must have been, I did not look into this, but I imagine they must have written a song for it or something because there's a Creed poster in Sydney's like, fake room you know the for the set uh so yeah i'm guessing creed had something to do with the soundtrack um but yeah when like one of the first songs in the in the film is creed i'm like oh lord this is this is not boding well um i also like that the person is like recognizing cotton's voice Mm -hmm. i'm like cotton also to me sounds like ted levine or levine from silence of the lambs in a way (laughs) so yes (laughs) i don't know i I, if if he he picked up the phone i don't know if i would immediately you know i might not know it's his voice i might think he's like you know he's like your voice sounds familiar are you 
Are you keeping Are you Buffalo Bill? Yeah, you are Buff- <laughs> This is this is Buffalo Bill. I know you. That, yeah. Are you uh, one of the henchmen in Flubber? <laughs> that's you, right? <laughs> Oh, that's even better. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you, though. So go on. Go on with your thoughts on Scream 3. That That's pretty much it. Uh, that yeah. was... You're you know, watching this one again, right? You're going to watch this one every night. <laughs> I'll watch everything with Cotton again. I, it, it was so, It was so like, everything in the beginning with Cotton, and then everything at the end in the house. <laughs> that's all I cared about, where yeah. everything in the middle kind of meshes together. Um, yeah. the Jenny McCarthy of it all, like could care less. I did love like her. I think she's like talking about that. She's basically Tatum, right? Like she's, she was like arguing with Scott Foley on the phone. Like, like I'm basically the Tatum. <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. She's like, I don't know what my character is. Like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which again, I mean, it is trying to be, you know, commentary like that's kind of what scream does like doing the meta you know like these movies are all the same like what's going on why are we making this um what's the point and and i gotta say that like the this movie like scream in general but like i i I think scream in general just like never met a do6 machina that it like didn't like right and (laughs) and for those you know for those who didn't take like ap english or haven't read anything i'm saying this and i haven't read anything um this this should be great uh dio six machina is this convention in a literary convention and theater convention where like literally something happens that like saves everybody or changes everything and it comes from the greek theater where um a god would come down, god from the machine, Deus Ex Machina, would come down and, like, basically say, everything, it was a dream. It's like when you say, it's all a dream. Right. Or this Just didn't a way to, like, get wrap it all out of up. a corner. Yeah. It, exactly. Like, it's... It's the it's it's that thing. And it, and it may not necessarily make any narrative sense, but it just kind of happens. And so, like, with Scream, it's like, it never met... <laughs> Deus Ex Machina that it didn't it didn't like like I think um I think like Billy Loomis's mother in at the end of Scream 2 that to me I'm like what <laughs> this woman um which it makes sense because if they if they change the killers because of leaks then that would make sense because they ne- they don't hit at that at all <laughs> um her being her being the killer which I mentioned last week when we talked about it but with this, it was just like Randy, you know, wheeling Randy out from be- from the grave, and like Heather, <laughs> and then like you know, have Heather Heather Matarazzo come out and being like Randy's cousin, Randy's sister. <laughs> She's, you know, I, he wanted you to find this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's very shoehorned. I, I think there was an idea at some point that he was going to be alive, like he somehow survived the last. Um, film and was like in hiding or something i don't know i was you know reading all these different production notes i'm watching uh i watched a couple of youtube videos about sort of the production of this and uh you know so that was an idea and then that didn't work but they still like the studio because you know to really contextualize this film it came out like right you know after like the columbine massacre you know so you have this like in that time in 2000 i remember there was a really I feel like even more so than now, obviously, um, like 
kind of not since the 80s, like blaming of like violence in the real world on horror, on video games, like what's going on with our children? What are we allowing them to watch? So I think the studio had a real like fear of putting out like this violent, like there was a point where they didn't want any blood in the film at all. Like all deaths had to be like off screen or somehow there couldn't be like, they didn't want any gore. And Wes Craven was like, fuck out of here. What? (laughs) (laughs) We're either making a horror picture. We're making a scream movie or we're not making a scream movie. Like there's no, you know, uh, you know, although I do think that when you watch the film, although there are deaths in it, they're not as, um, there are a few deaths that are after the fact, you know, like you just see people covered in blood rather than, you know, I mean, there are stabbings in it, obviously, you know, not to say there aren't, but uh, I do feel it's a little, it's very heavy on, on comedy. You know, it's very, it's much more funny than the others and just downplays. I think some of the gore to some, to some extent, I, I think there were compromises made. Well, which is interesting because, again, like, again, the film is not, like, the film doesn't take place, doesn't take place at a high school. There aren't teenagers killing each other. There's no mass shooting. There's guns, but there's no mass shooting kind of thing in it. And, like, because you think about, like, when American Horror Story Cult was going on and they, like, took out that scene. Right. Like, when um, Sandy Hook, right? Because it was Sandy Hook. Um, Check out that scene because of Sandy Hook. Um, It all, I mean, unfortunately, it does mesh together because there's so many. Yeah, but But. it's one of those things where it's like you, I think that if they were to remake it now, like if that movie was being made now, I think because we're so desensitized because of the ubiquity of mass shootings and everything, I think it will get to a point where like, yeah, they would have just let it fly. I mean... Yeah, maybe if they had, if they were making them now, maybe we would have gotten a, a really different film. But you're right, they did. They they pulled away from the teenage setting, kind of made everybody, you know, they they've left Woodsboro. It's not in some tiny town. It's in Hollywood, and so there's this whole conversation going on. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think very influenced by what happened at Columbine and sort of the state of the world, and you know, having these conversations about like real life versus film. Um, you know, and, and how it kind of informs, you know, cause I'm almost all horror, you know, the stories that we tell have basis in reality, you know, the things that horrify, like the things that horrify us, the things that happen in our lives that, um, you know, are terrifying or are scary. We like translate into horror, I think not necessarily the other way around, but then again, there are plenty of, cases where people are like oh yeah i binged watch you know dexter for you know over and over and over again for five years and got an idea to like chop up my girlfriend like those are you know th- there are real cases out there of people claiming at least that they were influenced by watching a film uh but that screamed to defense right you know but i also feel like you know well and even in the original scream where he's like you know horror films don't like create murders they make or psychos they make psychos more creative or whatever it is um which i'm also like yeah i i don't know if like just some like i've watched i mean i don't even know how many hours of horror films and i never thought like i'm gonna go chop somebody up like there there's got there has to be other inciting you know, factors or else, you know, the millions of people who enjoy horror any given year, there'd just be a lot more, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's just, it's kind of a, it's, it's a, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's all. It's more like what is that? The Ouroboros. <laughs> it's Ouroboros. Like yes, eating its tail kind of thing. Like I'm not like chicken and egg. Like I, I don't know if we can place the blame on either. But I like having the conversation. I like studying it. I like analyzing horror through that lens. The cultural anxiety of it all. You know what? You know what we what we do here on a weekly basis as best we can. <laughs> um. Yeah. So again, it's like, yeah, who's responsible for like the horror of the world? Mm-hmm. And this film, I think, is trying to have that conversation, and that's that's what I will give it. <laughs> well, so to some degree, I, I think what this film is saying is that the person who's ultimately responsible for the horror of this film world is Sydney's mother, and how much of a ho she was. <sighs> Well, yeah, I was going to get to that because that is the other problem. There's a lot of like victim blaming in this. Um, and yeah, nobody like, it's like, well, sure. Whatever you can say, whatever you want, like as her daughter that like you're hurt by her actions or whatever, but it's, that's not like, it's not okay that she gets like murdered for it. Like that's, you know, that's completely wrong. Like, you know, divorce, fine, whatever, you know, you have to deal with the ramifications of your family's feelings about like the actions you might take. Um, you know, again, it happens all the time. Like, you know, where are those, where are like the men, all these horror films where men get like butchered for doing that and then shamed after, you know, for Mm -hmm. like doing the very same thing. Um, but you know, that's not, that's not the function of most horror. <laughs> and, she, and she was also like, you know, again, Sydney's mom was a young actress who was put into positions that, you know, she was Harvey Weinstein. Like That is something I was going to talk about that I think we get with the benefit of time. And be, re- rewatching this movie, I never... I, I've definitely seen this the least amount, which again, because our next episode, I guess I should maybe just caveat because our next episode was recorded already. I think we made a comment about Parker Posey's character. That's not true, but I also forgot <laughs> because I've, I've definitely seen this movie the least. And it's like, every time I watch it, it's like everything immediately leaves my brain. Cause I'm just like, what is this movie trying to do? But rewatching it again for so this. So you're proactively correcting yourself. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. Cause it'll probably come up. So I'm just going to pre-warn that. Yeah. I think we're like, we don't know what happens to her. And it's like, no, we do know what happens to her. Now I do remember, but it is really quickly uh, in, in the film, but not the point. The point is watching it again this time and being like, okay, I've got to watch this, pay attention to it. And like, think about the film in the construct of, Fright school. I, yeah, like th- when I first saw the Weinstein, you know, name on it, you know, that immediately I just was like, oh, God, you know, their name is still on like every fucking thing. Um, and then as the film progressed, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like another instance of like men telling on themselves with because they know they don't have any like these powerful types of men. There's no consequences. Like, and I was reading, I did find an article about it. And how, like, nobody complained about this, like, movie mogul, casting couch situation, Mm -hmm. you know, his whole, like, speech about, like, well, yeah, you know, we had parties and, like, things happened to the girls and, like, you know, too bad. Basically, like, that's what happens when you come out here, Um, you know, you got to play the game or go home, Uh, you know. 
what else? Nothing happened to her that she didn't invite in one way or another, no matter what mm-hmm. she said afterwards. So they like put this out, you know, years before the, the, you know, the me too movement, everything would break. Uh, although I think allegations surrounding Weinstein probably were out there just again, like ignored or, mm-hmm. you know, hidden. Um, but yeah, I guess they, I'm trying to see here. Um, yeah, they disagreed because they wanted to make Emily Mortimer's character the other killer. Like, there still would have been two killers. Mm-hmm. They didn't like that, but they were totally fine with, like, a Big Shot producer and Predator has his throat slit in his own lavish home screening room. No studio or executive notes for that. <laughs> maybe because, again, like, they had, you know, they would have had to maybe admit to some things. <laughs> Like, no, no, that's totally fine because it's totally unbelievable. Like, none of us here would ever do such a thing as, as uh, have a casting couch. What is that? I don't even know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah, it, re- the, the, it really recontextualized the whole film when you're like, oh my gosh, this is like a Me Too story. 15 years before, 16 years before, like, that would all explode. Yeah. For something, again, that, like, you know, the saddest part about, like, the Me Too conversation is that everybody's like, well, yeah, everybody knew. It's just, what are you going to do about it? And then you have films like this where it's like, yeah, we know. We're well aware. We're so yeah. aware of it that, like. <laughs> what is it we say, Joshua? We already been new. We already been new. But yeah. uh, here, you know, here it is in this film. Like, and again, he's, like, at the root of it. Like, his even like less than like how they blame Maureen, like he's like the father, uh, the long lost father of Roman and, you know, child or, you know, Roman is the long lost child of Maureen Prescott. And uh, what's his Milton, uh, which also very paradise lost, you know, like what's going on there. There's maybe there's more to like pick at in that whole conversation as well. Uh, That might be a comment on like Hollywood, as a whole, yeah. like, you know, the nine circles of hell and all this kind of shit. Um, very Dante's, uh, mm-hmm. Inferno. Um, I did not see the Roman reveal coming though. I was Emily yeah. Mortimer all the way to the end, which again, like I love about, I love about these films is just like, they, you just can't, you, you really can't, put it past and again because they're also playing with established conventions even fans of the films something that looks completely telegraphed they they know to distrust it so it's like it's almost like there really is no you have no indication of who may or may not be the killer what bothers me and what bothered me with this film is like oh, we assume he's the killer, surprise, but then his whole backstory is revealed in the reveal. Right. So Much like Billy's mother. Exactly, much like Billy's mother. And I'm just like, I guess, I mean, this is me as a verbal processor, you know, saying these things out loud and and processing it in in real time. So it's like, yeah, (laughs) I wish there was a little bit of uh, foreshadowing but at the or or like you know in the like i said last week in the case of get out where it's like you know there is foreshadowing but it's like just slightly built right, in there that you have to subliminal kinda. it's subliminal like i wish that was there a little bit more uh more a more dexterous hand at that but at the same time like if 
we're experiencing it also from like Sydney's point of view. She's getting all of that exposition right then and there too. Right. So we get it the same time that she does. Um, instead of like being, you know, omniscient because it's a movie, right? We're getting it all from her perspective. Yeah. It's, it's, it is bizarre. I, I, yeah. Again. And, and using that, like another, like a strange kind of family member mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but it's also something like that the Saw franchise does that I don't mind, <laughs> you know, cause each Saw film, like they go back and you find out some kind of insane connection that, you know, is mm-hmm. like three or four removed from whatever the main action is. And it just, mm-hmm. you know, gets more and bigger and bigger. And you have this like huge web of like, who's all involved and you know, so there's always this rewriting of the story in a way as it builds. And so we get this added and then it's like, okay, so now Roman is the one who like showed Billy Loomis, the, the, you know, the, the evidence of Marines, you know, so it does add this other layer to like the story of like how the information, I guess, got out. I don't know if we needed that, (laughs) but But like, what would it have cost? I mean, again, a more dexterous hand hindsight's 2020 what would it have cost to it, it put in there a like flashback scene of like a billy loomis at a motel being presented documents right that like uh, an unseen figure you know what i mean like that is the kind of stuff where i'm like oh that's interesting you bring back skeet you know Ulrich. yeah um i don't yeah. know it, it, i mean again least favorite of the franchise, but still fun. Yeah. I mean, again, it's not one that I, I, I don't pleasure watch this. Like it's just mm-hmm. cause, cause there are other problems. But I totally, I'm so glad you said, I thought you were going to say, I don't pleasure myself to watch this, but no, uh, I don't just put this on is what I mean. Just for yeah. fun. Uh, you know, this may have been the last time I, I will see it. I don't know. We'll see. But, um, you know, I, I just mm, reveal, what? That <laughs> was a reveal. Like that's a pronouncement. You, I, well, I, I, it's just not a movie like I would go out of my way to watch, you know. And I don't even like think like you know when I rewatch Scream, like I don't then think like this is all because of Roman. You know what I mean? Like I just feel like I block <laughs> out. Like I, I do. I feel like I just kind of have a block on this movie. Outside again of like Parker Posey, she's just super fun. I don't. She's like so at an eleven the whole time. <laughs> you know, her smoking that cigarette, the way her hands like flared out. Like I'm smoking. Someone's gonna pay for this. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. I just love her. She's just so strange. Um, and again, you know. Watching Alanda's YouTube video, the second Gail came on screen, she was just like, what did they do to her? (laughs) What happened to her head? (laughs) And I can't, that's the other thing. It's just, it's so painful to me. Like, I feel so much for Courtney Cox. Like, Gail has no gay friends. It's clear. Like, she pissed them all off. And they didn't, they didn't come to help her, you know, with her hair. Um, No, they did not. So I just... It's just, yeah, I don't know. And maybe it's like, that is so superficial, but there is just like, I'm like, what the hell happened? <laughs> like, your bangs. Ah! Um, <laughs> so terrible. Um, there's no, there's no educational value in that. Um, I will say that I love when Parker's character, Jennifer, like accosts 
Gail and like decides like I'm going to hang out with you because people are trying to kill you and maybe they won't kill me if I'm with you because they want to kill you and they'll kill you instead of me <laughs> like that whole thing and then they go and hang out with Carrie Fisher I just I love that whole sequence as well I love Carrie Fisher's character in this there's a lot of nice little cameos because it's like Hollywood you know you get uh, what's their names Kevin Smith and you know you get Jay and Silent and Bob, Silent Bob. And, mm-hmm. you know there are all these little like just kind of you know nudge nudge wink wink moments and I really like Carrie Fisher's character uh, in it I, she's just I don't know. I just miss her a lot. And so maybe I would watch this again and just fast forward to the parts that I like. (laughs) Parker Posey jumping into the arms of the bodyguard. Carrie Fisher, like, you know, well, I'll tell you who got the part, the one who did, uh, who did sleep with George Lucas. Like that's, it's just delightful. Like this whole commentary on Star Wars in a way. And the whole thing, again, when the, the big reveal with Milton, it just, I don't know. There's just these little moments that do tie in now that we have that um, to look back on, mm-hmm. like knowing what the Weinsteins were up to, but even at the time, like watching it, like again, like th- it's so accepted. Like it's so like, Oh yeah. Casting couch, this, that, whatever. Yeah. That's what you have to do to get ahead in Hollywood. That's not a new thing because of the me too movement, but I just think it re classifies this film in a way and watching it. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any other, we kind of hit on it. Uh, I will be curious to see once, you know, we're going to do Scream 4 next week, and then um, we'll have Scream 5 to to break down as well. And I can't wait to see what your final list is of, like, how you'd rank the films. Uh, I, I'm kind of excited for that. Uh, I'm curious with your new eyes what, uh, what you think are the best Scream. What's the best Scream movie and what's the worst? So be cooking on that, Joe, because I'm going to ask. I wrote I mine we, down already. I bet we've already talked about it. Yeah. Um, I bet this is the episode where we talk about it. Um, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> but after you see Scream 5, uh, you have to... Uh, that, then we'll talk about it then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're going to have a, another guest on for that show, so I'm curious what their, what their list will be. We'll all compare. Maybe it'll be the same. Maybe it'll be different. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, any other odd thoughts <laughs> besides the usual stray observations? Uh, Let's be done with it. I, I, I mentioned I it. I mentioned that when you said that you may not watch this again, like that really struck me because I feel like a rewatching, like a joyful rewatch, is your brand. But it was not joyful to rewatch this, so therefore, you know. Yeah, again, it has its moments, but overall, uh, I also think like, because it was, you know, I, I, real quick, I do try to like, forgive like all the production issues. Yes. But it's like, I think that they really thought there were going to be two killers for most of the film. So like Ghostface is like every fucking where. And because we live here, like, we know what it's like in Los Angeles to get anywhere, you know? And that killer, even back then, even 20 years ago, still, like, he is just popping up everywhere. Like, is he helicoptering in places and then, like, getting back out? Because that's the other problem with the film that I have on rewatching it. It's like, man, like, he's killing a lot of people really fast in, like, really, I feel, small amounts of time. It feels that way. It feels yeah. like there should be two killers. So I, I thought that Patrick Dempsey issues. was the second killer. Oh. So, like... He does get a little weird. 
he gets yeah. like really weird and then like and then at the end it's like come on sid and i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> also like don't leave your door open like uh, like is it really over <laughs> Like, don't leave your door open, Sydney. At the very end, where she just kind of like leaves it, and I'm like, I'm just gonna leave it. <laughs> like, we'll see what happens. Don't leave the door open. Yeah. Ah. Anyways. All right. Well, that was Scream Three. So we thought it was over, but guess what? A decade later, eleven years later, Scream Four reared its head. We'll be talking about that next week. Uh, yeah. So we'll see you then. Good night, Joe. Good night, Joshua. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.